0: Recently, I've been speaking a lot of different conferences and events, and I seem to get the 2:30 shift, which is when it's incredibly difficult to keep awake. So, hopefully, I will keep you awake today. I'm going to talk about uh, a place where Jesus inhabits. Um, um, I've seen incredible shifts in evangelism over the decades, and I reckon that you have as well. and a lot of it's been around campaigns and programs and events and strategy and alpha and all these kind of things which are great. Um, however, when I ask leaders sometimes about their strategy and their vision and their call and their mandate to their local community, I generally hear it's around a program or a, an event or some kind of meal, which is fantastic and it's great. But I very rarely hear um, People say, I want to be someone that has Jesus that inhabits them. I want to be a bearer of the presence of God. I want to be somebody that basically uh, moves where Jesus moves. You know, statistically, 70% of people come to faith through one-to-one relationships. It's fact. Um, Very little come through a poster or a program um, it's relational. It's about one-to-one uh, connection. And so today I'm going to look a little bit about presence evangelism uh, and how we can be a place where Jesus can inhabit. Um, I also want to look at how the presence of God in us releases the power of God in the context of where we sit and dwell. Is that okay? If I say to you, uh, is this all right? That's to keep you awake. It's not because I'm nervous. Um, so... Um, I might challenge your brain in thinking a little bit today, I might scramble you up a little bit, but hopefully you'll hear the heart of God. I want to firstly share a little bit about my testimony, a little bit about who I am and where I've come from, to give you a little bit of context, Um, but I also want to come from a a scripture, and you know it very well, not as a theological uh, seminar, but more something I want to impart to you uh, through some of the journey that I've been in. And it's in Isaiah 6, and you know it very, very well. And it says this, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, uh, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that the sound of the voice, uh, the uh, the doorpost and the threshold shook, it said, and the temple was filled with smoke. And as I said, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a, a man with unclean lips, and I live amongst people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphims came, and he touched him with a coal, and he took... Uh, him to a place of the altar, and with which he touched my mouth, he said, see this, I have touched your lips, your guilt as taking away. Then, th- then he heard the Lord's voice say, whom shall I send? And he said, here I am, send me. I come from a broken world. Um, at 11 years old, I, I was homeless, I was thrown out on the street. Uh, to survive. Um, My father and mother broke up. Uh, Incredibly difficult environment to live in. My dad was a marine. Any military here? Ex-military. My dad was a marine. He was a man's man. He was a tough man. And my um, mother and him just didn't get on. And um, it ended in divorce and I ended up on the street at 11 years old. And I'll never forget it because it was a scary moment for me where I just felt vulnerable and broken. I just felt lonely and uh, eventually someone got hold of me and I ended up living with my father but I also got involved in lots of difficult things that generally kids who are wandering around streets get involved in and uh, part of my family um, are notorious traffickers um, across the world and so at 12 years old I um, was a runner I was a drug runner and uh, I used to carry drugs like a mule and um, my life was messy and you know I remember taking drugs around 12, 13 years old and it completely broke my life and screwed me up and um, and so I was in a broken world, I came from a broken world, I came from a dangerous world and uh, and I needed something to change It was funny, at the time I always used to go along to a a Sunday school (laughs) on a Sunday, um, or I'd go to like a Christian youth club, and I'd hear the God that wanted to use me and speak to me and uh, demonstrate his power and be my father, but I couldn't relate to it because my father wasn't there, my mother wasn't there, and it was incredibly challenging for me, but I also felt the call of God in my life at that time, and... uh, but I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't understand it. It's really hard, isn't it, when Father God is saying, I want a relationship with you and yet your father. Uh, and this generation out here hasn't got a father. And it needs a father. And it needs a mother. And um, so I, I had an incredibly challenging time. And around 16 years, I, I decided to get out of it. And my dad said to me, I want you to become a man. I want you to go and join the army and be a soldier. So I joined the army. And uh, 16 years old, a little boy, um, and by the age of 17 I was on the front line. And so I, I'd gone from this kind of broken, difficult, dark world into a military world that was full of discipline, which was full of um, family, um, but also made me know that actually I couldn't, I didn't have to fear anything anymore. And One of the things the army does to you, particularly in, in the regiment I was in, um, it trains you to kill. Fundamentally, it trains you to take out the enemy. It trains you not to fear. And, uh, you know, when we think of evangelism, sometimes it's a scary thing, right? It's tough. And, um, and I learned the principle of that fear can cripple people. And I think, for me, the church today has had a lot of fear around it. Fear of the unknown, fear of the rejection, fear of that man might say, I'm not interested. And so I had this terrible journey, really, and I came out uh, of the army a couple of years later, really broken, angry, upset, and I ended up back in church, and um, I was kind of lost, basically. And I remember sitting at the back of church, and all these people were jumping around, and it was a Pentecostal church. Um, I left there a while ago and got saved, Um, and uh, I just couldn't relate to it, and actually a lot of people just couldn't come near me, because I was scary, I was messy, I was broken, I was angry, And, and then God just kind of started to speak to me, and he'd nudge me, and he'd say, but I have called you, I've called you. Uh, and I thought I could beat God. You ever thought you could think you could beat God? You ever had a punch up with God? Anybody? Um, you can't beat him, right? Um, he's too big. And uh, and so I ran away. And basically, I'll cut the story short. I ended up getting involved in crime. Um, I got involved in drug trafficking. And I was probably around 15 years ago, making around 18, 20 grand a week. That's a lot of money. But with a lot of money comes a lot of addiction. And um, in short, what happened to me was um, I got caught up in a situation where um, a gang hit had happened. And um, I ended up um, pulling a firearm out on someone. And uh, I was looking at probably a 10-year stretch. And um, I was addicted to heroin and crack cocaine at the time. And you've heard lots of these stories before. Um, but I also knew in the midst of this chaos and brokenness and difficulty, God was there. And um, it was a crazy story because what I'd done was I'd actually used my old pastor's son as a getaway driver, and there's a book about it. But what what happened in the end was the firearms uh, response unit turned up his house, ready to shoot me. And they said to him, do you know Danny Doran Smith? And he said, I, I think so. Um, anyway, I ended up going to a cell. They arrested me. And an incredible thing happened. Just before I was going to be sentenced, um, the pastor of the church, David, turned up. And um, he said to the chief inspector, please don't send him down. Please do something with this kid. Now you've got to understand, he's took a risk here. I've caused chaos in his home, right? I've destroyed some of what his sanctuary is. But he stuck his neck on the line. If we're going to minister in a broken world, we're going to have to stick our neck on the line for messy people, okay? So he took a risk on Danny Doran Smith. And it took him five years with me. And um, in short, there were conditions put on me. And I ended up being in a church house. And one of the conditions was... I wasn't allowed to connect to some of the people that I was connected to. I wasn't allowed to speak to my family. I wasn't allowed to be involved in drugs. I wasn't allowed to be involved in anything. And I ended up sitting in a room, most of the time, breaking. You've got to understand, I had an addiction of like 300 pounds a day. You don't just come off an addiction without some support. And so I had nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. And I remember sitting there one night thinking, I've got nothing here in my life that can give me any hope, except there's something that is speaking to me, which is Jesus. And I remember going into the church one night, just like this, and I ended up getting on my knees, and I said to God, if you're really real, then I need you to set me free, deliver me, heal me, and I need to be used for you. Is this alright? And so... What happened to me was that I started to encounter God's presence, which is kind of my first point in all of this, is that if we're going to minister in a broken world, we've got to encounter his presence again. Because presence precedes power. Jesus never did anything until he was in the presence of God. In fact, most of the time he's running away to be in his presence. Because presence always releases the power of God. It always releases the greatness of God. And so what started to happen with me was that I started to encounter the tangible presence of God. The, the glory of God. And I would sit there for probably sometimes three hours. From around 12 to 3 o'clock in the morning. And God would just totally touch me, break me, shape me and inhabit me. You know, Martin Martin Luther said, um, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I'm not expecting you today to come away thinking I've got to spend three hours to encounter the presence of God. But I guess something of us needs to shift right now because it's not enough. And I want to encourage you to say that if God needs to possess us, or inhabit us, then we need to be in his presence more than ever ever before. Watchman Nee said, I'm, I must first have the sense of God's presence of me before I can have the sense of his presence within me. You know, and in around three, three months I would just go and sit in the presence of God and what was starting to happen was that I started to feel the heaviness of God, the weight of God. You ever felt that? the weight of God, the presence of God that's tangible. And something started to change in me. You see, there's something about the presence of God that makes everything else fade away. You see, without it, we're just spiritually lifeless. Without his presence in us. And I'm telling you now that we need the presence of God in this world more than ever before. And we carry the presence of God, amen? So, I know I'm not supposed to say amen. But, um, so I want to encourage you for a moment. I want to challenge you. And I want to say to you, if you want to be a place that Jesus inhabits, then we need to get in into his presence. Because presence precedes power. Is that okay? That's my first point. It was kind of like Isaiah was saying here. He's saying, um, and the presence of God started to become so real that, the whole train of his robe filled the temple. I don't know if you've been in a place where the presence of God is so real, it's so tangible, it's so thick that you can't move. And I believe that if we're going to be a place of where Jesus inhabits, we've got to carry the presence of God that's so thick, that's so tangible, that's so real, that we walk outside there and people see and know that God is in us. Amen. So it's about that for me. And so... The second thing I want to say to you, if you want to be a place uh, that Jesus inhabits, is that we need to probably be broken. Around this time of me um, just contending for the presence of God, my sister died. My sister, who was 27 years old, um, she died, and it was an incredibly challenging time for me, because I felt like I was getting sorted, and then all of a sudden, something that was so precious to me was taken away. You ever felt like that, where you feel like you're getting close to God, but God seems to have taken something precious away from you, and it was an incredible time, but Um, It was also a very difficult time. It was also a very very broken time. And um, I was still addicted to drugs still at this time as well. So I wasn't quite clean. And so it was very, very challenging for me. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody die. But it's painful. It breaks you. But through that experience, God broke me. He broke me in a way that I'd never been broken before. And I remember going back into the church that night, broken. It was kind of like when he says in verse 5, I felt like, woe is to me, I'm, I cried, I'm ruined, I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips. It was kind of a, a reality check. It was a reality moment where I'm not clean still. My life is a mess. I've lost everything and now I've lost my sister. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus um, it tells us that where he was overwhelmed and troubled with sorrow to the point of sweating drops of blood. Jesus was broken. Three times he said to Um, His Father, if you can take this away from me, take this suffering away from me, then please do it. But not my will, but yours be done. It's interesting, the word Gethsemane, I don't know if you know what that means, but Gethsemane um, is a corruption of two English um, Hebrew words, which actually is gat and shamin. And, and Gat is a, a Hebrew word in itself, and it, it means Gimel Tav, which fundamentally means wine press. And shamin means oil, um, which is a Hebrew word of uh, fragranced oil. And um, if you put these two words together, you have um, the place where oil, olive oil is pressed, or oil press. So actually, the Garden of Gethsemane was a place of brokenness, but it was a place of oil. It was a place where actually something was squeezed under the pressure to release the fragrance of God. And so, um, I don't know if you know, but in all in press, presses, uh, they, they basically stack all presses on top of each other, and they put more of the weight on top of them in order to release more of the oil so the more pressure the more brokenness the more suffering the more oil the more fragrance of God you with me and so my guess is this is if Jesus went through trials and tribulations he went through brokenness he went through pressure and suffering and if we're going to be a place where Jesus inhabits and a gospel message for a broken world, then we might just have to be broken. Because people aren't um, projects. They're people. And I think, particularly if you're going to live an apostolic life, suffering, you know, is part of the course. In fact, you can't afford it. But John says... I must decrease that he must increase. That means I must die for him to live. And so when the pressure comes on us and the difficulties of the brokenness of the world, we tend to fight against it. We probably sometimes pray against it. But actually, I want to encourage you right now and say, inhabit it. Embrace it. Encourage it. Because when we minister in the broken world, they've got to see that we're also broken. And so, when we read at um, Colossians 1.24 onwards, we see Paul saying, funny words, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh with what I'm lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body and for the sake of the church. Paul's saying he's rejoicing, in sufferings, he's rejoicing in brokenness. He's rejoicing because he knows that his brokenness will touch the world. I think that the, the scripture that sums this up for me as well is in two Corinthians um, four, verse eight to ten. It says, we, "We know it. We are troubled on every side, yet dis, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted." But not forsaken, cast down, not destroyed, or is bearing about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in my body. That's the place where Jesus inhabits. That's where he wants to be. We need to encourage ourselves. If we're suffering right now, that's part of what Christ did. It's part of what Paul went through. You know, after this moment of brokenness, I was, I was kind of never the same again. And um, verse 7 of Isaiah, it says, With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin has for. At that moment of brokenness, what it did is that, that God's heaviness and his presence of God came on me, but it released the fragrance of God on me. And it set me free. I got set free from drugs in a moment, in an instant, like that. No one came near me, no one prayed for me, I had no subitex, I had no methadone, I had no process, I had nobody around me, God just delivered me in an instant. You see, my guess is this, is that he can do that all the time still, right? Sometimes we have a theology of it, but the reality is we don't believe it. I was saying to Ben um, just in a moment ago, we've just planted a church in this area, which actually is probably the more challenging community of Norwich, and, um, you know, I think two months ago we saw probably, if not the biggest prostitute, give her life to Jesus, Right? She's the biggest drug runner in this area and the biggest prostitute. She came in to a meeting. that I didn't even invite her. She just walked in, which I'll talk about a little bit in a minute. She came in and the power of God touched her. No one went near her, but the presence of God was in her and the anointing and the fragrance of God was around. You see, when the anointing and the fragrance of God is about, everything goes out the window because Jesus is here. Amen? And so, for me, if we're going to see ministry in a broken world and the supernatural, we've got to start to encounter his presence. We've got to start to encounter brokenness. We've got to start to increase in him, that we may decrease. She's at a woman's conference today for 2,000 people. I mean, I'm blown away. She got delivered, saved, healed like that. The next week she came back on the streets with us. You know what she did? She prayed for the homeless. She prayed for those who she sold drugs to. That's the transforming work of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. And so, what I want to say to you at this point is this. The only thing on my heart at that time was, I just need Jesus. I was caught up with lots of things, but all I wanted was him. I just wanted to fall in love with him. My next point really is this. If we're going to be a place where Jesus inhabits, then we need to start seeking after Jesus. In John 11, verse 55 to 56, we see um, a gathering of people waiting, it says, expecting for the one. And in verse 55, it says, um, now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem, out of the country before the Passover, to purify themselves. Brokenness, ready for Jesus in his presence. And it says in verse 56, so they were seeking for Jesus. They weren't caught up with anything else. They were just looking for the one. And they said this. They stood at the temple and they said, what do you think? Do you think he'll come today? That Jesus? Do you think he'll appear to us? Now we've got to understand the context that we're in right now and it's basically um, the Passover of the Jews. It's it's the most important time and uh, for the Jewish people and thousands of the people would gather to the city because they were gathering for an annual event. But there was something a little bit different about this moment. There was a kind of a new expectation. There was a new desire because they'd heard about this Jesus and they started to get hungry for him. They started to look for him You know, there was an atmosphere of, well, he's claiming to be the one and the Messiah, but is he really? So the only way I'm going to actually find out is if, if I actually go and find out if he is. That means I have to get up and go and see where he is. That means I have to move and go and move to the things of Jesus. That means I have to go and find Jesus, inhabit him. That means I need to go towards him. They weren't caught up with any program or any festival. They were just looking for the one. And I want to encourage you today, and maybe challenge you at the same time, have we stopped looking for Jesus? Have we? We're all guilty, right? I'm a busy person, yeah? But I sometimes realise that without Jesus, I could do nothing. We all wake up in the morning, what do we do? Some of us look at our emails. Some of us pick up this. All of us in this room, obviously, look for Jesus. I want to encourage you guys, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus, look for him. Because all they were doing at this point was looking for Jesus. Nothing else. And so, when I started to pray more and more, I started to look for Jesus. And I convinced, you see, that the church doesn't need a new mission. Because God has determined it and Jesus has divined it. We just need to simply get involved in it. And we need to get involved in Jesus. I know that's very, very simple. But I find that evangelism is. It's actually not complicated. We just need to see where Jesus is working and we just need to partner with him. Maybe you're here today, I don't know, and you're a church leader or an elder and you're in a desperate need for some vision and some clarity and some insight into your community. Well, I want to encourage you, just go look for Jesus. Actually, probably what you want to do is actually go and drive around your community and say, where are you, Jesus? Where do you want to inhabit? Where do you want to work? It's funny, Jesus never did anything the Father didn't tell him to do, and yet most of the time we do everything but. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, I want to say to you, look for Jesus, because when you partner with Jesus, it's really easy. It's really easy. It's alright. Three people. Um... We're, we're in a place where, um, and some of you know, we plant churches, and we plant churches in some of the most challenging, broken, depleted places and that most people don't want to be in. I get all the great jobs, um, probably because of where I come from, um, but there's a great danger, and I just want to kind of provoke our thought a little bit, there's a great danger when we start to pioneer something new and create something new that we go into program mode. That we go into entry points. Well, they're an intentional strategy, but they're not actually probably on Jesus' agenda at times as well. We're really good at thinking, aren't we? Strategizing. Come on, we do that all the time. I do that, but I miss Jesus. I miss what he's up to. And um, about eighteen months, about two years, over two years ago, we went. We were asked to go and plant a church in a community in uh, the west of the city, and it was the most deprived. I think he's in the top 4% most deprived community in Norwich. No one really wanted to go there. In fact, the church was empty for six years. And uh, so Danny Doran Smith got the task. It's great, isn't it? Anybody got that calling? Um, Anybody want that calling? Um, And the great thing was we had no resource. This is true pioneering. No resource, no finance. In fact, the church was in debt. It had every drug dealer going around the back of the church prostitution, you name it, the place was chaos. And there was a great temptation at the time to go into program mode, strategy mode. What do we do to gather, engage, see what we need to do to reach out to this community? And I actually did that at the time. But I felt the Lord say to me, Danny, you need to stop because I need to inhabit this place. I need to inhabit you and I need to show you what I'm up to. So what he did was this he showed me that there were key people in every community. They're key leaders in every community. Do you know some of the biggest leaders are in prison right now? They are. And he showed me that there were key individuals in that community that Jesus was already working with. He was already partnering with, he was always already whispering. He was already communicating. And um, and so God started to identify some of those people with us. And all we did was was kind of like I've been doing, I've been talking about. We just go and meet and we just pray and we just think out of the presence of God. And we just see what He does. It saves a lot of time in administration. <clears throat> and then a miracle happened. Because the most important person in the community who was the leader of the community one Sunday morning opened the door and said here am I, I'm here True. I didn't do anything I just tried to see what Jesus was up to and all of a sudden all these people started to come because the presence of God because of the oil, anointing oil, because the fragrance of God was there. And so all of a sudden we started to see more and more people come, and we just invested in the one. Because I think Jesus just did that most of the time. In fact, he tried to get away from crowds. <laughs> and all of a sudden we started to see more and more people come we did a a Sunday morning thing where we thought oh we'll just kind of do a thing for mums on a Sunday morning 70 mums just turned up in fact I mean you know I've got some strategists here and planners and they left to go into that mood and I said hang on a minute let's go into what Jesus wants to do and uh, Pentecost Sunday bless some of my team they went into program mode I went, whoa, 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 wait. 230 people turned up. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If we let Jesus build, build and do what he wants to do, then it makes our lives a little bit easier. The next thing I want to say to you is this. If we're going to be a place that Jesus inhabits, then we need to be willing. Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. The Lord spoke to me at this time and he said, Danny, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go to proclaim Christ? Are you willing to to pay the price are you willing to discover what's on my heart and align it to yourself are you willing to be an outcast for the cause of christ are you willing to go and challenge evil and corruption are you willing to go and live a holy life are you willing to even risk your life because i want you to go back into the highways and the byways to the outcast and to the cripple to the unattractive and to the crack houses where i am and bring my kingdom are you willing? Are you willing to go where I am? You see, I, I think that if we're going to be a place where Jesus inhabits, we've got to go into the place where Jesus wants to inhabit. And sometimes they aren't very attractive. Sometimes they're not very pretty. And one of the first things he did with me, he just, all right, I'm keeping you awake, aren't I? Um, one of the first things he did to me was this. He said, right, are you willing to go back into the places that I called you to be? Now, I'm not suggesting you need to go and do that, but there's some things that you've come from, there's certain situations, certain contexts, certain environments that you've had influence in the past, right? Maybe Jesus is saying go back into them. And um, an incredible thing happened, actually. I bumped into a guy it was about probably two days later, and I talk, bumped into a guy who used to go to church years ago with me, and uh, he was like a prodigal, right? I bumped into him, and I looked at him. His name was Carl. I looked at him, I thought, "Wow, man, you look like you're like fifty years old." He looked complete mess, and I said to him, "You know what's happened to you?" He's I mean, same age as me, twenty five, and. Um, he just looked a mess and I said to him, What's happened? He said, Oh, everything I've lost my kids, I've lost my family, and all this kind of stuff. And I felt the Lord said to me, Danny, you're willing. Are you willing to go now and do something with this guy? So I said to him, I'll pop round, come see you. I turned up, I'm not joking. I turned up. You ever been in a room in a house where you've opened the door and the smell? Like, it's not pretty. And I walked in, and there were I can't I can't even explain it. The it was like this thick, nasty, heavy smell. And I looked and there was a dog in the corner shaking and all its hair had been eaten away by fleas. I looked at the floor, there were dog there was dog mess everywhere. God says you willing then you willing to go where I've called you to go? To a broken world. You willing to do it? Now, most of us would have said, um, "Yeah, great. Um, it's been really lovely to meet with you. Um, perhaps come to church next week." No, actually, go into the house, Danny. Go into the house and go and clean it up. In fact, go and do it now. And so I'm in this house, and there's mess everywhere, and it's incredibly difficult, and it's dark, and this guy's basically an addict. I, I didn't realise, but he was a, he was on crack at the time, and he was an alcoholic. I soon started to realise when one of the local drug dealers that I knew turned up at the back door ready for his money. And he looked at me and he knew who I was. And he went, I didn't know that I'd, you know, kind of transfer to the other side now. Um, and, And Jesus just said to me, are you willing to get involved? And so basically what I did was I cleaned the whole house up. And I didn't go back and tell the church. I just cleaned the house up and I just got involved in this guy. And then I went back to the church and I said to them, this guy's in a mess, can we do anything about it? Um, and they said, yeah, we'll pray for him. And I struggled with that. Because prayer's not enough. We need to get our hands dirty. And in short, I managed to get him out of that situation Um, we we managed to get him clean and he basically encountered Jesus, which was incredible. But it took me to be willing to go somewhere that perhaps I didn't really want to go. So I suggest to you, if we're going to move in the miraculous and we're going to minister in a broken world, then we need to be in the places where he's calling us to be. And sometimes they're not very attractive, sometimes they're messy, sometimes they're incredibly challenging. So, I, this is kind of just the process I went through and um, and kind of still go through, I guess. Um, we're about a church for the one. We work with, um, at the moment, 2,000 kids a, a weekly. Um, we work with around 50-odd churches. And we're in a broken world, guys. <laughs> we're in a challenging, challenging time. And um, my heart is that we just go and be Jesus in it. I want to just kind of move on from the process that I've gone through. And I hope that's helped you. And I hope it's just given you some thoughts and prodded you a little bit and challenged and hopefully made you think differently. That's what I've wanted to do with that. It's a journey I went through. It's a journey I continue to go through. Um, but I think if we're going to be a place where Jesus inhabits it's going to require his presence first. We've got to go back into his presence. It's not enough to just turn up at church, it's not enough to stop a prayer meeting. We've got to get serious with God. We might have to be broken. We might have to suffer. We might have to be willing, we might have to be desperate. I want to move on at this point to talk a little bit about presence evangelism and what that looks like. Is this okay? Do you want to do any questions at all? Any questions? I'm a bit spontaneous. Any questions on any of that? Fantastic. So when you started in the church, mm. um how did people know? You said that people just turned up. Want to talk about that now? Okay, great. (laughs) Um, Well, I think, for me, I do lots of programs and events and and strategy, but presence evangelism is the most effective. Personally. Um, So I'll talk about what happened, basically. Um, If you turn to... And I titled this part, Listen to the Spirit, Listen to the Streets. Um, If we turn to Acts 10, verse 9 to 21, and I think this is kind of the context in which I want to talk about presence evangelism. It says. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth and its four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent Cornelius found out, sent wife Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs, do not hesitate and go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to to the man, I am, sorry, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The first thing I want to say to you in terms of presence evangelism is that, and there's quite a lot of things here, actually, uh, if we break it down, um, and actually some parallels to what I was talking about a minute about, about obedience and being in the presence of God and willing and all these kind of things. You can find it in that scripture but there's a couple of things I felt I just wanted to share with you and the first thing is this is that Peter went up on the rooftop you know Peter was up on the rooftop um, and back in that context they would have gone on the rooftop because it would have been like an extra room it would have been a room that was away from the house Um, it would have been a place where basically you don't get disturbed and um, I've got three children. Um, one that's placed on Norwich City, terrible team. Um, but um, I know, even just before I came, my girls are having a um, prophetic moment, um, and they are loving to irritate them each other in their gifting and anointing. I have the fivefold in my in my whole family. Um, so I have the the prophet and the teacher, and I have the pastor, who's my son. He's fifteen. He tries to mediate. Between those two, and um, it's very hard at times to go and find a rooftop, and um, incredibly challenging to find some space. Amen. Is that right? Come on, (laughs) it's it's, it's challenging. Um, My wife works full time in ministry, Um, she leads a homeless charity. I work full time in ministry. I lead a youth charity, and then I plant churches in my part-time. And then I lead an executive of the city in my part-time. And I have three kids, and my daughter plays for Norwich City. It's ridiculous, right? So I haven't got time. But I have. If I make it. And so, I'm going to answer your question, don't worry. Um, Rooftops are really important because we know that many times Jesus went away fundamentally just to get back into the presence of God because he knew the more in his presence and the more of his fragrance the more people would be drawn to him that's presence evangelism and so I used to go into the church as I said for three hours a night seeking his presence I'm not suggesting to you that we all stop work now and ministry and and, and guys, you know, stop your program. But actually, there's a great challenge here because sometimes, and they say leaders at the moment, sometimes don't even spend 15 minutes a day in the presence of God. Now, you'll argue with that because you'll say to me, well, we're always in the presence of God. Right? But we're not. Because we're flesh. Because we're soul, we're body. Because we get caught up with things that are not in Jesus' agenda. Is that alright? So we must, must, must spend time. We must, must find a rooftop. I want to encourage you. If you go away from the seminar thinking about anything, go and find a rooftop. Go and find a place where Jesus wants to inhabit you. I'm not talking about a prayer meeting here. I'm talking about you and him. I spend, I would say to you now, still, I probably spend three times, three hours a day in his presence, just where I'm just listening and gazing, dwelling and listening. Do you know what time I usually do that? I usually get woken up between three, sorry, I usually stay up till about three in the morning, don't do this, terrible, right? Because that's where God inhabits me there, that's my quiet place. It might be till two if I'm feeling a little bit tired, um, but I, I actually spend at least a couple of hours just sitting, dwelling, listening, gazing, letting in- inhabit me. My guys know if I don't, if I don't, um, I, I won't just turn up to a meeting. They know that they have to leave me alone for about two hours. When we go out on the streets, when we plant planting a church, I know I need to go and be in my rooftop. Because presence always precedes power. And so, I hope I haven't offended you. (laughs) I don't know what your rooftop is right now. It might be 15 minutes, it might be 10, it might be 3, it might be half an hour, but go and find a rooftop. You might not even have one. You need to go and find one. So, the funny thing here is, and it's quite an interesting thing, is that and it's the first thing we see in this, this scripture, is that um, while the friends of were still on the way to Joppa, Pe- Peter was where? Well, he was on the rooftop. And so when, when we're thinking about presence evangelism, um, then we need to go and make prayer our priority. And prayer... That is not just talking, it's listening. Um, James O. Fraser, a missionary to the Lizu tribe folk in China, um, after seven fruitless years, you ever had any fruitless years? After seven fruitless years, um, he actually com- contemplated suicide at this time, uh, had probably the biggest breakthrough he's ever seen. And he said, after it, he said, I used to think prayer should have the first place and teaching the second. I now feel that prayer should have the first place, the second place, the third place, the fourth place. You see, for me, Peter here, right, he's in a position. He's positioned himself listening. He's in a place of his presence. And so he's positioning himself to. Be open to what God is saying to him. Fundamentally, what he's doing here is he's listening to the Spirit and he's listening to the streets. He's listening to what the Father's saying, but he's listening to what he wants to do. And so God's plan was to put Cornelius and Peter together uh, so that the Gospel, you know, would be spread. What's fascinating about this is that we've got two separate situations, circumstances. In fact, we've got two different people in two different cities. And yet, God has orchestrated something here that would have such a huge impact. Did Peter put a banner out? Did he put a program in? Did he put a Facebook on? Uh, Did he put something on Twitter? Did he um, fly the community No, he just got on the rooftop and listened to the Spirit. And so I guess one of the things I would say to you in the context of um, presence evangelism is that we need to listen to the Spirit and we need to listen to the street. We need to listen to what God is up to because what God wants to do, I think more than ever, is what I would call a divine appointment and a redemptive setup. You see, Peter hears it's a divine appointment; it's a redemptive setup. How is it that, that that God's speaking to one guy over here, and He's speaking to the same another guy over here, and all of a sudden the timing is what so perfect? counter each other and then everything goes out the window. That's presence evangelism. Part of it. I think that's the supernatural. I think that's signs, wonders and miracles. I think that is what's on God's agenda right now. And so the problem with us is that in our prayer, I guess, in our thoughts, we tend to talk. We don't listen. Yeah, you can ask a question. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere in a minute with this, don't worry. Go on. Well, Peter was obviously, he'd gone to that place. Yeah. And mm. The, di- the difference was is that Peter had an encounter, a vision, which is what I'm going to come to. He had an angelic visitation. So actually, Cornelius was spoken to in a different way. But Peter had to be ready because Peter was the key person at that moment. He had to position himself in prayer. And God is also working in people. Exactly. Who exactly. God's on the block. Exactly. Yeah, so with the situation I talked about with this lady, God was, she just walked into church one day, God was already speaking to her. In His way. All I was doing was praying. And heaven collides. Does that make sense? The first encounter I had, I'll tell you about the first encounter I had about presence evangelism. Um, Just back at where I was going out and I was basically kind of going back into the drug dens and the crack houses and I was leading lots of people to Jesus. In fact, at that time I was leading hundreds of people to Jesus and the church couldn't cope with it. Because you can't put a new one into an old wine skin. It'll burst. And so all of a sudden on a Sunday morning the church tripled. Because the presence of God was just drawing people. And what was the key to it? Well it's me going on my rooftop <laughs> not because it was Danny Dawn Smith, it's just because I was hungry for Jesus. And um something supernatural happened, and it's kind of where I want to go a little bit as well. Is that um I remember going into the church one night and I just sort of to pray in a way that um I was asking him more what he wanted to do and I went down um, a bit later on in that day where I walked down towards the shop and I just kind of used to take a little walk down to the shop and I remember for a moment seeing just a gang of young lads Um, and I just felt a nudge. I just felt a little, what I would call a, yeah, nudge of the spirit. And it was a little bit of, Danny, are you gonna get involved in this? because I want to see this generation one for Jesus, right? And so I went back, and I would say, I, would, I intentionally said, okay, God, if you want to use me in this moment with these young people, then you're going to have to do something, because I don't know what to do. Here's what happened. And I always tell the story, and it blows me away. And this is the start of my ministry, really. Um, about half past five one night, there was a knock on the door. And uh, I came downstairs, and I opened the door, and there were four young people stood there. I already, I I knew this was a setup, a redemptive setup in my spirit. I knew something God God was about to do something. Um, because if we pray in His name, He will what? If we ask in His name, according to His will, He will what? <coughs> He would do that, right? And um, they said to me, they said, oh, is the vicar here? And I laugh now, because I'm a pioneer minister in the Church of England, which is funny. Um, And I said to them, no, he's not. Um, But naturally, what we do at that point is say, come back tomorrow. Um, But I knew God was trying to do something here. And I said to them, what's wrong? And they said to me, We've messed around with a Ouija board. We've been smoking cannabis and we've just seen a black cat. And I was a little bit like, okay. And they, were, and they were freaked out. But I knew that it was a setup. God had done something here. Because I'd literally walked down the street that day and he'd gone, Are you going to be doing something with this, guys? Are you going to engage in these young people? And then he brings it to my door just like he brought Cornelius men to Peter's door. And I just had these young men in, and I basically broke all the rules of youth work, and uh, I let them eat me out of house and home, and I led every one of them to Jesus that night. I said to them, if you're interested in doing something positive, rather than messing around with Ouija boards and smoking stuff, then come back tomorrow. The next day, I had twelve kids. Three months later, I had ninety. I didn't do anything. Do you hear what I'm saying? I didn't put any banner out. I never advertised for the club. The presence of God drew them. That's presence of evangelism. 100%. Hundred percent. And I guess, I guess for me, that what we're talking about is that it's, it's a divine setup. Yes, I know that he was talking to Kenyans, but he's also talking to people out here. He's actually talking to people out here more than you think. Can I give you another example? Th- these are the encounters I have all the time. These guys know. I literally was walking down the road a couple of months ago. I walked down the road down Maglin Street. <clears throat> and I came out of a prayer meeting that we were all we're kind of getting fired up for Jesus and saying, yeah, we want to see a miracle, we want to see a move of God. And I thought, well, I'm done with talking about it, let's kind of do it. <laughs> and I remember walking down the road and I, I saw this woman with these two people. And as I walked past her, she looked at me and I looked at her and she, and then I turned around and she said, there's something different about you. Quite attractive. <laughs> <laughs> something different about you. She said, do I know you? I said, no. It's called a divine appointment to redempt yourself, right? I didn't do anything. I was just walking down the road with the presence of God. I led us to the Lord in half an hour. All of them got saved. They turned up to our meeting that night, uh, that Wednesday night. What I didn't realise was this: <clears throat> she was dying with a terminal illness. She couldn't walk, apart from she was on crutches. She was dying from a terminal illness. She came to our meeting. She got healed like that. In fact, she couldn't walk from the back to the front. And what did she do? She walked from the back to the front. So. That's the miraculous, right? That's the supernatural. Mm-hmm. But that's because Jesus inhabits me. That's what it is. Like, and he can inhabit you. Because <laughs> he does, right? So, for me, it's about letting him. But the journey I talked about a minute ago is part of some of the process I think we've got to go through. It's not a theology, it's not a doctrine or anything like, but we need to go through a bit of a process. <coughs> second thing I want to say to you is this, um, is to expect the unexpected. You know, while Peter was on the rooftop, he got hungry, basically. Uh, the Jews only ate two meals a day. It's quite interesting uh, at the point of history, and uh, it, one of them was around the time where he was on the rooftop, and actually that's why he was hungry, because he wanted food But something strange happened to him, which I think probably this might answer some of your questions. Because Peter fell in a trance. Now, we're not going to go off some dodgy theology here, okay? Um, We're just not going there, all right? So you can relax. Um, But actually, the word trance in the Greek is called ecstasis, which means a separate state of mind. And so what that means is that it's described as a supernatural event, just like Peter had. What is it? Well, this is what it is. It's a paradigm shift in our thinking. Because we're conditioned. Because we're all information-based, but we're not revelational-based at times. And so... I think what happened in this context is that Peter had a shift in his thinking. He had a paradigm shift. Because you and I know that we walk down uh, the road every day and we go to conferences like this and we hear lots of stories and we go, wow, isn't that amazing? But what about us? What about now? What about me? Don't you get fed up a bit, the lack of power in your life? don't you? well I want to encourage you you've got all the power you need you just need to have a shift in your thinking we um, we are just seeing at the moment miracles miracles signs, wonders but I think it's because we've had to have a bit of a shift in our thinking one of my biggest um, problems at the moment, I think particularly in this generation of young people, is, can I go off on a tangent with my youth thing for a minute? Is that alright? <laughs> because it's really important. This, this generation is a hedonistic, humanistic, let me tell you, spiritual generation. They want the supernatural. And the church needs to stand up and be that. Do you know in uh, 1990, there were 1.1 million um, young people between age of 12 to 16 that attended church on a Sunday. Do you know how much within, I think it was within a period of um, 20 years, do you know how much that's gone down? 370,000. It's gone down to that. We've got a problem, Houston hello, we've got a problem I don't know how many young people but I'm guessing already that you're not seeing a move of God with young people right now this generation needs to encounter the presence of God this generation needs to encounter the supernatural signs and wonders of God but it's also going to require us to encounter that ourselves can I ask you a question Am I allowed to do that? In this last week, who's witnessed to somebody? Okay. In this last week who's led someone to Jesus? In this last week who's who's seen signs, wonders and miracles? It's the norm. It's the norm. What time? Is it? Okay. Um, can we just pray for a bit? Is that all right? Can we do, would you mind standing with me? Is that alright? I don't know about you, but I do not I d I don't I don't want you to go to another conference without seeing this happen. No? Said Amen with me, Rob. Um, he said, "I'm doing one if they say Amen." Um, it's a little bit of the Pentecostal in me still. Um, there's lots of things I've thrown around today, and it's going to mess your mind up a little bit, okay? But um, that's okay. Isn't it? And um, but what we need is the presence of God right now, more than ever before. We need the tangible presence of god we need to encounter jesus we need to encounter his goodness and his glory go and find a rooftop we need to actually get desperate for this generation we need to have a paradigm shift in our thinking we need to start to believe the word and do it we actually need to start to activate faith again You know what it's like when you lead someone to Jesus. You start to believe again. You know what it's like when you lay hands on the sick. You start to believe that Jesus heals, he saves, he delivers, he sets free. And so I want to encourage you in this moment, start to uh, allow your faith to rise. Allow your faith to rise in him because he wants to inhabit your life. He wants to pour out his spirit in you. He wants... Completely draw people to you because the presence of God is in you. So Father, I just want to pray in this moment as you completely inhabit our lives again, Father, would you increase in this hour? Would you increase in this moment? Would you bring your presence and your glory and your goodness in this place, Lord? Father, would you pour out your spirit Father, we're here because we're hungry for Jesus. We're here to see a move of God. We're here to see signs and wonders and miracles. Father, we want to be like Peter. We want to be full of the presence where people are just drawn to us because your presence is in us. Father, we're asking you in this moment, would you impart something? Impart something in us right now. Do we speak in tongues here? Hallelujah. <laughs> if you don't, it's okay. Let me just crawl on God for a moment. I, I believe God wants to release an anointing on you right now. I want to impart something on you. I actually you want to physically impart something on you. I want to impart something on you of the presence of God, the tangible signs and wonders and miracles. Because let me tell you this, when you go back into your workplaces, when you go back into your schools, when you go back into your communities, you will see the presence of God transform people's lives. You will see the eyes open You will see the miraculous. You will see the prostitutes and the crack houses set free. Amen. We will see a generation of young people come to know Jesus because Jesus is in us, because his presence draws people. We will see that. So, Father, we pray that faith will arise. It will arise in this moment. (laughs) Rasa <laughs> ka ba rolo Bokumba Rasaka Rakanda sakara kanda ba kiki, roso kukumba kuku shikiti, rata ba ba bando tiki hikindede, roso koko. Shame we am going to worship. Rasa <laughs> <laughs> ka I want to pray for you. I want to impart something on you. Is that okay? I haven't told you all the things that we're seeing happen, but but you've got the gist. The presence of God is so attractive. You are attractive. Say, I'm attractive. Speak life over you. You're attractive. Because Jesus is in you. Can I tell you a story just to raise your faith a little bit? And then I'm actually going to lay hands on some of you. Is that alright? Do you do that? (laughs) Do you know we have an enemy? Do you know that? Just um, three weeks ago, um, a family came to us and um, they'd been around us for a little while and um, the, the partner, the man, had um, been tormented for years. He'd literally slashed his arms. In fact that it was so bad, um, he'd actually slashed his throat at times. True? Mm-hmm. Demonic, dark, Right. And um, his partner was absolutely tormented. The kids, I've never seen children like it in my life. They were absolutely tormented with something. And um, the little boy particularly, he couldn't even look at me. He just couldn't look at me. I'll get that problem sometimes. Um, and uh, they'd said to us that they felt there's a problem in their house. Um, they didn't go into it but I found out afterwards that both of their parents were mediums and so what we were seeing here was we seeing demonic powers and principalities tormenting this family and um, so they shared with us And um, the young lad hadn't slept in his bedroom for six years because every time he went to stay in his room something threw, threw him out physically threw him out of the room so I said to them I said, oh, what, what's happened in that room she said well we, we've opened up a portal they'd messed around with Ouija boards they'd, they'd open up a demonic portal so I was like okay my guys are like okay are we actually going in there um, I said yeah because Jesus is in me right I don't need to fear anything remember <laughs> I knew this whole family was going to get set free so we went into the place of just seeking his presence getting, hearing him listening to what he wanted to do and uh, so we turned up three weeks ago and it was interesting because as I walked into the house something tried to jump on me and it wasn't them and uh, they said to them where's the room? so I took five guys with us always take people with you, don't do this on your own some people get it really wrong they get beaten up um, so I said show us where the room is so we she said it's upstairs so we run up and up in, upstairs in the room and as we all walked in something tried to strangle all of us literally tried to stop me breathing it was serious so I thought okay Houston we have got a problem here <laughs> so I said to one of my guys I said worship and I got Nikki I said just read the word the God just read the word God Shifted in a moment. This I, I got this woman right, who's been tormented for six years, right, and the husband. I said, right, I want you to go walk back into that room. They came up, and I'm not joking. The power of God hit them. No one did anything. The power of God was so tangible it hit them. They flew across the room. There was no one near them because the presence of God had appeared that night. The young man came back. She said nothing to him. He went up into his room. He said, "The monster's gone. That whole family is completely set free, but also that whole street set free." Because we listen to the spirit, and we listen to the streets. We're seeing these things all the time. Do I know what I'm doing? Do you know why? Because I'm not actually thinking about it too much. I just know who I am. You see, you don't need any more power. Because Christ's power is in you. What you need is authority. Authority in this moment. So I want to pray for that. Is that okay?